Hello and welcome back to the show. I am super excited for our guest today. And just to give you an idea of what we will be talking about on this podcast, we will be digging all about digging into all about investing out of state and investing remotely. So today, our guest is a firefighter, a real estate agent, but uh, first and foremost, he is an out of state real estate investor. And he's also very similar to myself, a real estate podcaster. So I want to welcome my guest, Mark Oshiro. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Colby. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you being here. I know you're uh, super busy. You know, we just listed off your resume here. You're doing a lot at the same time. So first and foremost, man, like before you even dig into anything, you know, how did you decide to, you know, become an investor, get into real estate? And, you know, what, what made you kind of decide to right off the bat invest in, in, in real estate out of your local area? Well, it really started uh, during the shutdowns, like that's just the whole mindset shift of, you know, I saw a lot of people losing their jobs, getting laid off. And, you know, be, me being a first responder, you know, I had, had a secure job and you know, I have a pension and great medical benefits. But just the fact that I saw others kind of, you know, not financially prepared for what was happening to them made me realize kind of just having one stream of income was was very risky, you know, so even how safe my job is, it's it just put that thought in my mind that what if I got hurt on the job? Or what if I didn't finish my uh, career? Or what if, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the job required something else that I couldn't perform, and then I, I lost my job. But it just got me thinking that having one stream of income was super risky. And my friend um, was investing out of state. He lives in Hawaii also, but he was investing in Pittsburgh. And he would always talk to me about what he was doing and kind of the properties he was buying. And, you know, also during the shutdowns, me and my son's mom, we, we separated and I had a lot of time on my hand and I had equity in my, my property, my primary residence. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start looking down this path of, of real estate and, and out of state investing, because being in Hawaii, you know, the single family home medium is roughly like a million dollars. So the point of entry is, is super difficult and nothing really cash flows here. The numbers don't really work unless you're going to do like short-term rentals. Um, but even that has a lot of restrictions on it now. So anyways, I started looking in Pittsburgh and I started going down the rabbit hole of out-of-state investing, remote investing, and just, you know, seeing what was possible and what was capable out there. And it was supposed to be a slow process. I was just going to do one property and kind of see how it went, get my feet wet. And once I started, I looked at it and it just started making a lot more sense to me. Like this is how to build wealth and this is better for financial stability. You know, I looked at my retirement accounts and all this money that I was putting into it. I was like, it doesn't give me any cash flow. The returns aren't that great. I have all these restrictions as when I can take my money out or, you know, so it just really, my whole mindset changed and that's what put me down the path of real estate. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really interesting that when you started investing, you know, obviously with the market restrictions, right in Hawaii, and I'm sure a lot of people in, you know, these more expensive markets, like, you know, I think of like LA and, you know, New York, uh, but in your case, right, you started investing immediately right off the bat out of state. So kind of, if you don't mind, walk us through that process a little bit, you know, 
what was it like? Was there any kind of reservations or fears in the beginning? Because I'm sure, you know, a lot of people when they start investing, even if they're investing in their backyard, you know, there's still kind of, you know, there's a lot of fears that comes into that. But now you're investing, you know, almost like, you know, in a different in a different land, if you will, because Hawaii is an island, right? So. Yeah, so so definitely the one thing you kind of have to, you know, initially get over is kind of the whole cash flow and appreciation mindset. So definitely, you know, like Hawaii properties appreciate very well here, but the entry point is super high. And, you know, for me, I looked at it like, you can invest here, but every month money is going to be coming out of my pocket. And that wasn't going to help me grow or help me scale. So that's where cash flow comes in. So that's why there's a lot of places where, you know, in the mainland, um, the numbers make sense. You can find properties. Um, so going back to like Hawaii, you know, everything, I always thought I was kind of in a bubble. Like I just thought everything was like a million dollars. I didn't realize that you can find properties in other areas that, you know, a, a whole house, a full house for like $150,000. It, it just blew my mind that what, like, is that a entire home? But anyways, there's these properties that, you know, maybe cost 150,000, the rent 1500, and you can make money while someone is paying down, you know, your mortgage. So it really started to click for me. And that's when I started really looking remotely and out of state and talking about fears. Yes. You know, the number one thing I think people talk about is like, how do you invest when you don't even see your properties? Like I've never been to Pittsburgh yet. I haven't seen my properties. So that's probably the number one thing most people encounter is just getting over that hump. And, you know, a lot of what I, what I talk about is even if the property was like right next door to me and there was something that went wrong, would I really go over there and fix the problem? Would I do any plumbing myself? Would I do any repair work on it myself? I mean, there's some people out there that are very handy that might get it done. But for most people, they're going to call a plumber or they're going to call an electrician and get this work done. And that's kind of how investing out of state is. So, you know, you have a problem, you have an issue, you're going to contact the right person to kind of take care of this. And it's just... Same thing with the realtor, you know, the realtor will walk through the property for me. He'll show me videos and he'll give me his input. The property manager that I use will give me his feedback. So I have these boots on the ground and these eyes there that also give me the information that I need. And especially in today's, you know, generation, it's, you have so much access to, you know, uh, like Zoom calls, you know, FaceTime, but you're able to see these properties. And it makes it helpful to kind of close that gap of the distance that you're investing in. Right, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are beginning to, I guess, shift their mindset when it comes to doing business in other areas, especially investing. Uh, because like you said, right, if you're doing it correctly, uh, when you invest in a property, you're not the only person kind of going in there and fixing <laughs> fixing it up or doing the maintenance, right? You want to have you know, a system in place where it can... Uh, almost run itself, if you will, if you, you really do it correctly, because that's the ultimate goal, right? It's to build a business where you don't have to be hands-on every day. You can, you know, go out there and, you know, you're already in Hawaii, but for most people, it'll be going to Hawaii on vacation. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so when it comes to building that system, right? So what are some things um, in the beginning when you started investing in Pittsburgh um, that you really needed 
uh, as far as setting things up? And uh, what, what was kind of like that process like? So I think the first thing that you want to do is reach out to other investors or find someone that already invests in that market. And that's what I did. My friend was already investing there. And he probably hates me saying this, but I always say that he made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, but he kind of ironed it out. And that's kind of what made me feel a little more comfortable as far as piggybacking or jumping on his system is that he put systems in place after making a lot of mistakes. And I think that's going to make your transition the easiest as far as, you know, you can find, you know, you can Google like top 10 markets to invest in and all of that. But if you don't have boots in the ground or if you don't have a team in place, it doesn't really matter how great that market is. You know, it still can throw you some curveballs and give you headaches because you don't have a system in place. And to me, that's more important than any market is having boots in the ground or having a team in place because there's a lot of great markets out there. But if you don't have a team in place, it's going to definitely probably be a bumpy road. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So just making sure you have somebody who's like a, or, or a group of people who you can trust, right? Like you mentioned, um, the real estate agent who's able to kind of kind of go in there and even show you how the property looks like, and you'll be able to kind of relay that information back to you. So you, uh, you absolutely know if, you know, if something goes wrong or whether or not a deal is actually, you know, a good investment. So as far as putting together your team, you know, what, what exactly, you know, as far as people that you're looking for, aside from somebody to, you know, who's already an investor that can kind of help you in the market, is there any specific people that, you know, you want to have on your team before you even start considering a certain market to invest in that's not in your local area? Well, I think the first place you want to start is usually with a great realtor. I mean, that's the kind of initial point is because it's hard to really kind of connect with property managers and other people in that market. It's usually going to be the realtor is going to be kind of like your first point of contact. And usually if you have a good realtor who's familiar with investing or, you know, he's going to have his own contacts. He's going to have property managers. He's going to have contractors. He's going to have lenders. So finding that agent at first to me is probably the most important thing. But as you start, you know, growing your portfolio a little bit, to me, now it becomes the property manager is probably the most uh, critical person on your team. He's going to be kind of the day-to-day -day operations. So he's kind of the most important person. And you want to have a good relationship with him as for him or her, as far as uh, what, what's the goals, you know, what's your plan? How far, I mean, how, how do you want to scale? How many properties do you want to have? But the property manager is super important. And, you know, there's a lot of great places to find this information. So there's, you know, like bigger pockets is super popular. Right. They have their forums uh, where you can connect with other investors and find what agents they use, what property managers they use. And you just reach out to them and you start connecting and you kind of go in it with maybe kind of what your criteria is. Like, you know, some people don't want to work with agents that aren't investors themselves you know so some people only want to work with an agent who kind of has a background of investing um, some people don't want to work with you know certain agents that maybe um, are new to the market so there's you got to kind of have your own criteria and for me what I liked about my agent that we used was he was he hustled that he super communicative with us whenever we text him no matter what time it was he'd get back to us he'd follow up he'd show us videos 
And to me, that was super helpful, especially with the time difference, because, you know, it's about six hours and I don't want to be messaging him. And then I don't get something back to, you know, in the evening or the next day. And then, you know, we're playing catch up the whole time. So for me, it was super important as far as the communication goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just getting somebody right, especially when they're, you know, you're not there, right? If there's not, you know, a good stream of communication between the two of you, then, you know, a lot of things can come up, right? Where, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, a lot of the the setbacks and the fears start coming coming to the surface where it's like, what's going on? Is this person even, you know, seeing my messages? Are they just kind of, you know, working with their own local clients, right? And is this person going to be responsive when, you know, we're actually in the closing process, right? How, how are they going to work? So that's actually really important. It's just hitting somebody who will communicate with you, right? So it sounds really simple, but you know, it's an important piece. Yeah. I don't want to make this sound simple at all. That that's going to be the one thing that I want to kind of reinforce is that this is a, a long process. It's a slow process and it's, it's not something that overnight, you know, so it's definitely not easy but it's definitely worth it in the long run. And as, as, you know, as things grow, then the whole process just becomes easier. But in the beginning, a lot of times there is a steep learning curve. And I, I found that out, you know, I did a lot of things that if I was to start over, I would do differently as far as I feel like I scaled too quickly, um, you know, not having enough reserves in the beginning, but, but definitely it's, it's going to be worth it. It's just, I don't want to make it sound like it's a very easy process because not only do you have to purchase the home, now you have to learn about managing your property manager. Now you have to learn about like lending. There's a whole lending world out there that people don't realize. Like I, I always thought you just go to the bank around the corner and you drop off your paperwork and that's how you get a loan. But there is a whole lending world out there with different type of products. And it's, it's, you know, it's like I said, it's eye opening to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people, when they think real estate investing, they just think, Oh, I know everybody can do this. Right. But I mean, it's true that anybody can do it, but it's, it takes a lot of work, right. And a lot of education in the beginning and making sure you're making decisions based on, you know, based on, real facts aside from, I think a lot of people make their, even in their investing world, make decisions based on emotions, which is really where people really get into deep water and, you know, start getting into trouble when it comes to, you know, not making the right choices and the right decisions on their, on their purchases. And, you know, even, you know, you touched on some of the mistakes in the beginning that you made, you know, what were, you know, what were some of that, you know, kind of that learning curve that you, you later found out and what would you kind of go back and, you know, if somebody's starting out investing now, what would you kind of tell them, you know, some things to be on the lookout for, what are some metrics that maybe you missed in the beginning that, you know, you would, if you were to go back again, do differently? Well, I kind of want to touch on something that you just mentioned real quick, though. First is you talked about, um, you know, putting emotion into it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's actually one of the benefits of investing out of state or remotely is you can't say so you can't just drive there. You can't walk over to your property. So there's a lot of emotions that you can't, you know, factor into your decision. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also one of the benefits as far as being at a distance, you kind of are hands off. It's kind of, you just got to make more of a decision based on numbers or, you know, you're not letting your emotions get involved in it. But um, as far as mistakes go, um, 
like, like I tell everyone, definitely um, not preparing well with reserves. And I think that I was somewhat tricked. Like the first four or five properties went super smooth. Like, you know, bought it, tenant in place, cash flowing. And I was like, oh, this is easy. And that's, you know, what led me to look at my retirement accounts a lot closer. And I said, you know what? I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to take things, everything out of my retirement accounts, take the penalties, and I'm going to invest in real estate. And, you know, that I don't advise that, but I'm glad I did it. However, I probably should have scaled slower because now I was trying to maybe stabilize like 10 properties at one time during the winter. And, you know, unfortunately, I ran into more headaches than I thought. And I had a harder time finding tenants in the winter months. And, you know, I, I didn't prepare well with the reserves. And that's the one thing I always try to enforce, reinforce to people is make sure you have a proper amount of reserves, because things will probably go wrong, it's going to happen. And your reserves is going to keep you in this game longer. And that's, that's the thing about real estate is once you acquire the asset, that's only part of the game. The other part of the game is not losing the asset. So that's where the reserves come into play. Mm, that's actually a really good point. I don't think a lot of people realize that, right? Where, you know, expect things to go wrong, almost. You need to expect things that will go wrong because they will, right? If you don't, if you're not prepared for them, then, you know, they always say like, right, you better better be safe than sorry, right? You never want to be caught off guard like that. Definitely. And the one thing though, I want to say is it, it does get easier. So in the beginning, you know, all the expenses and mistakes are kind of magnified. Like you feel like everything is coming out of your pocket and it, and it is, but as your portfolio grows, now the portfolio is kind of paying for all the expenses. So you don't feel it as much, you know, once you, once you start growing. So that's why it's important to also scale, but scale smartly is, is the important part of it. Right. Reinvesting, right. Reinvesting your profits back into the business uh, where, you know, you're taking the money you're making from the business, right. The additional income, instead of spending it on, you know, your life, you just put it back into the business. And I think that's a really smart, smart way to go. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the joke, right? All real estate investors say they're broke. No, no matter how much cash flow or how much properties they have, they all say, I'm, I'm cash poor. Like, you know, my money's coming in and I'm right. just reinvesting it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when people think about real estate, um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it, but it's definitely like a very, it's probably the most capital intensive business out there, right? As far as the ratio between how much money you have to put in versus the profits that you're getting back. Is that what you would, you would say as well, as far as kind of like your experience? Well, I want to say in the beginning, definitely, you know, that's how it's going to be uh, as you scale. And maybe as you show a proof of concept of, uh, you know, what type of investing you're doing now, that's where maybe like private money lenders and using other people's money start coming into play, but definitely, yeah, it, it does take some money to, to get started, but as you build, then now that's where trying to, you know, use the least amount of your capital comes into play as far as, you know, getting other people's money. But yeah, in the beginning to get started. Um, and that's, that's also why um, I never did it. 
I wish I did it when I, you know, when I was younger or started, but to me, like house hacking is a super um, beneficial way to get into real estate. You know, as you do it as an owner occupied, you can put down 3% um, down payment, put the least amount down. You can use their rental income generally from the other units to, to count to your income to help you qualify. And then now you're limiting or lowering your biggest expense, right? Your, your, most people's housing expense is probably their biggest expense. But now if you're able to house hack and have someone else pay for part of your living, now you're able to save more money, invest more money. And to me, like house hacking, you know, is probably one of the best ways to get into real estate. Yep, definitely. A lot of people have said that a lot of people are, you know, house hacking from house, house hack to house hack, right? That's their strategy of building up their portfolio is, you know, I'm going to house hack uh, here once and I'm going to find the next one in the house hack again. And then they just run out the entire, you know, the entire, uh, entire property uh, when they move on from one to one. And that's how they build up their entire, you know, multi unit portfolios, which is a really cool strategy if you really want to think about it. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the hardest part is, you know, do it when you're younger, before you have a family, before you have kids, because usually there's one person that may not be on board with it. And, <laughs> and, and that, that's why, you know, I, I always tell the younger guys at the firehouse, you know, Hey, you know, this is the way to get started if you can and do it now before, you know, you, you get married or before you have kids or something. And, um, but yeah, I wish I did it. Um, it, it I think it's super, super helpful, but that's also, kind of my vision for my son I and mean, he's only eight now, but and I'm not sure if he's going to go to college or what, but you know, I'm, I'm planning as far as wherever he may move to or go to school. Uh, I want to buy like a fourplex in that area. You know, he live in one, you know, he's, he's going to live there so we can put the least amount down and you know, he rent out the other three units. And then basically he's living for free. And then, you know, we kind of rinse and repeat that process. Yep. Absolutely. And that's a very smart strategy. And I've really recently heard of a lot of people uh, doing that for their, you know, their college age, their college age children, right? Buying them a house instead of having them live in a dorm or rent for four to five years or whatever it might be. So really it's the, like you mentioned, I think the time relationship, right? You have time almost like on your side and real estate's really kind of more of a long-term game where you know, it's a, almost like a career play, if you want to think about it. Like if you're continuing to build that asset, if you're continuing to put in, you know, little by little build up that, that portfolio, then eventually it's like breaking the dam. Eventually there'd be enough pressure to break the dam where you'll be, you know, everybody says that, you know, you'll be financially free and that's the goal for everyone. Yeah. You know, for me, when I look at it, I, I like real estate more than any other asset class, just because there's so many ways to, to build wealth through real estate and so much tax benefits, but you know, you can buy and do short-term rental. You can do midterm rental. You can wholesale, you can do fix and flips. Uh, you know, you can get into multifamily, but there's so many different ways to build wealth in real estate. Whereas, you know, maybe, maybe stocks, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, you buy low, sell high for the most part. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of how you, you know, you benefit from it, but real estate, there's so many ways to enter. There's so many ways to exit. You know, you can do 1031s to defer taxes, um, you know, but there's just so many ways to build wealth. And, and that's kind of why I like real estate. And the one thing about real estate too is you can always change the terms. You know, interest rates might go down. You can do 15-year mortgage. You can do 30-year mortgages. You can do lines of credit, but the terms can always change to help you benefit your portfolio. Yep. 
Absolutely. It's very creative, right? Even if on the lending side, right? Private lending, you know, the way you're putting together deals, um, you can do a lot of different things that I don't think in many other, you know, especially when it comes to investing uh, asset classes that you can do that you could in real estate, especially when it comes to like you're mentioning, like just getting creative and, you know, on the putting together deal, uh, putting together the deal on that end, on that end of things. Yeah, totally agree. That that that's that's why I I was like I said I looked at my retirement accounts and I was just like, I don't think this is gonna give me enough when I retire. I have all these restrictions as far as when I can take it out, how much I can take out, you know, or I'm gonna have these penalties, and it doesn't give me the number one thing and of cash flow. You know, and then to me that's the number one thing with real estate is the cash flow. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that that point up or you mentioned that because I don't I don't think a lot of people understand that or you know a lot of people think of that, right? They see the appreciation, right? And they see the tax benefits and they're they're all real, right? Like these are real benefits of investing in real estate. But you know, when it all comes down to it, or if anybody ever played the uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow board game, right? It's is this investment generating you passive residual income if not it's a bad investment <laughs> if it is it's a good investment so it really you know the the concept is not easy but it's it's simple right are you getting cash flow from it and i'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people they don't they don't see it that way or they're missing something or they're you know maybe they're turning a blind eye to the lack of cash flow and trying to kind of make up for it almost in their mind when it comes to oh the but the appreciation and the and the tax benefits but I think it's, it just comes down to that. I, I don't know if you, you would agree with that or not. Yeah, I agree. And I want to maybe make it even more simpler for your, for your <laughs> audience is, you know, I'm sure not everyone has played, you know, Kiyosaki's cash flow, you know, game, but you just look at Monopoly and I'm, I'm pretty sure majority of people play Monopoly. I mean, how do you typically win at that game is, is acquiring assets, right? You start with, shoot, I can't even remember. Is it greenhouses? Or an apartment. What's the apartment color? I think it's but a little it, greenhouses to the yeah. red apartments. <laughs> yeah. So same thing, right? You start with the greenhouses and you build up into the the apartment, the red apartments. But buying assets is usually how you're going to win that game. And if not, you know, you're just going around the board, collecting your paycheck or or collecting the two hundred at go, and you're not accumulating anything. And chances are you're going to lose that game. You know, <laughs> so. Keep it simple. It's just like Monopoly. You got to acquire assets and, and get on the board and it generates cash flow. Yep, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that example up as well because another good point there is, you know, everybody if ever played Monopoly, they always, the joke is always, you know, Monopoly takes forever to play, right? It takes a week to finish the game. Well, that's the same thing when it comes to acquiring assets and, you know, building a residual income, you know, business of any kind. It's, you know, you're a lot of times you're putting in a lot of effort up front I'm sure you experienced this building a rental portfolio and you're not necessarily getting paid for the amount of work you're putting in the beginning, but over time, if you're able to continue doing it over and over again, that's when the rewards will, you know, will come in while you're not putting in as much effort. And that's how you, you know, quote unquote, win the game of monopoly or even when it does take a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we like to talk about it as kind of like a snowball effect, right? You, you, you know, you start slow, you build it up, you're building this snowball. And at some point, it's going to just go on its own. And once it gets moving, there's no stopping it. And that's kind of how yeah. this whole process works. I mean, you, you start slow. It is a lot of work in the beginning. Yeah. You know, it is headaches. 
but you know, the vision is to get to a certain point and then it just kind of just goes on its own. Yep. Absolutely. So let's, I don't know if you, you don't mind, uh, let's kind of shift gears a little bit here and maybe talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, your decision to get your real estate license and become a real estate agent, because I know a lot of just new investors or people looking into getting into, you know, getting into investing are considering getting their real estate license. That's, I think that's the the question you hear the most uh, is, you know, should I become an agent, right? Should I quit my job and become an agent? It's another one. Um, I have my opinions on that, but uh, so take us through that process, right? What, what was the kind of the motivating factor behind, you know, you getting your real estate license and then eventually becoming a, an agent um, and how that has kind of helped you or, you know, what that decision went into as far as you being an investor and then getting your license afterwards. Yeah. So for me, my vision of getting my license was more to do property management. So it, it kind of goes down the whole theme of like cash flow, passive income. And I saw the property management side as something where, you know, you, you get a certain amount of properties that you manage and every month you're kind of getting this kind of set um, cash flow amount. And that's where my vision was. But as I was getting my license, you know, a lot of the agents are like, oh, you don't want to do property management. You don't want to do that. It's not worth it. And I think, you know, the the shutdowns or the lockdowns and the way the market has went kind of maybe made a lot of these agents rethink things because, you know, everybody was on a high, you know, there, I want to say maybe what did they do? Um, you know, their 6 million sales or whatever it was, 2021, I believe. And then it dropped to maybe 4 million sales in 2022. So not everyone was making that big commission check anymore. But if you had properties that you were managing, even if it was only 10 properties, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting a certain amount of income a month that can help you on the sales side. And it's funny, you know, because I actually talked to an agent in um, Pennsylvania who is in a, as a realtor, he's an investor, but he, you know, same thing. He started as a more for sales. But then he started doing property management. And now the property management side is what fuels his business. Every month, he's getting a certain amount of money from the rentals that he manages. And that money is now fueling his brokerage side, his sales side. And you know that helps him scale, helps him grow. And then at the same time, he has all these people with properties that at some point may want to sell, uh, may want to 1031. And that's also how he gets... Um, transactions from the sales side because these owners use him as his realtor when they want to sell. But I, for me, I I want to say it's definitely not what I was expecting though, as far as getting my license. Um, to me, it's you don't learn about investing, and, and I think that's. Sometimes people think they want to get their real estate license because they think they're going to learn all this secret information, you know, that, that realtors get, you know, they get all this access. But what I'm finding out is realtors are great at what they do. They're great at, at sales and, and staging homes and, you know, selling properties. But when you talk to them about investing, building wealth, there's a lot of agents that that's just not there. They're, they're in the hustle to make sales. And they kind of lose track of the investing side. And, and that's kind of where I'm I'm focusing more is building like a brand 
and more for property management and for investors. Like I, I want to deal with more investors that are looking to build wealth than just, um, you know, buy a home to live in. I mean, I get it. Some people, that's their dream, right? They just want to buy a home, grow old there. But for me, I'm trying to look long-term and, and build that, that kind of like the financial freedom or, or generational wealth for people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's almost like a travesty, right? That not enough real estate agents understand investing or even care to learn the basics of it. Does that make sense? Because, you you know, just kind of from what I've seen in the real estate industry, right? A lot of real estate agents don't even know the first, like the first thing about investing. You know, I don't know if you, that's kind of what you've seen as well, kind of just in your process of getting licensed, but it really is kind of, you know, it's kind of weird to me that, you know, you got these professional, you know, professionals in real estate who are literally representing people to buy and sell houses, right? The the process of investing in real estate and they don't really practice it themselves or they're not even trying to kind of learn it on, on their end. So it's kind of kind of a weird, uh, weird occurrence for me. No, I, I agree. You know, what I noticed is I, I always relate like fix and flippers to real estate agents because it's kind of that same, that like that rush, that excitement. They like that, that big payday or that big transaction. And, you know, same thing, you know, real estate agents like that multi-million dollar sale, that big paycheck, it may have to take them six to seven months to list it, sell it, close, but they get this big chunk of money. And that's kind of how the fix and flippers work. They find this property, they fix it up, now they put it on the market and they get a big payday at the end. But at then after that close, now you're starting all over again, right? You don't have this asset anymore. You know, you got to restart, you got to find another property to fix and flip or find another property to sell. And for me, that's where the investing and property management comes in. I feel like, like you're saying, like you talked about earlier, it's a long game, right? You want to hold the asset. And if it's generating cash flow, you know, that's how you're going to build the wealth to reinvest. And yeah, it's, it's just funny to me that a lot of realtors, like, I guess maybe, maybe they're just caught up, you know, maybe when things are just flying off the shelf, then everything was so busy. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the time to really, you know, try and invest. And they're just trying to make each, trans each transaction. And maybe that's what it was, but yeah, I definitely see the same thing as this. There's not a, not a lot of agents who, who have a portfolio or even have uh, any properties to their name. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's the perfect example, right? Comparing a real estate agent to a, a house flipper, right? A fix and flipper, because that's what it, that's exactly it. it's transactional income, right? Or active income, if you want to call that, where you're trading your time directly for income. Now, like you said, you'll be a better payday immediately, right? And it'll be a faster payday. But if you look at, you know, the two different graphs almost, you know, versus an investor versus a, a, like a real estate agent, they might be growing linearly as a real estate agent, right? You might be getting paid faster and more money quicker. But as the investor, you know, in the beginning, it might look like, oh, you know, what, what's this person doing? They're putting in so much time and so much work and not making any money. There's no changes in their life. Like you mentioned, like a lot of real estate investors would joke that they're all broke. And, uh, but one day, you know, the dam breaks, right? Kind of what we were talking about earlier. And then the graph shoots up. And that's the difference between, in my opinion, like an exponential growth, which is the real estate investor building up their portfolio versus an agent or a fix and flipper, or even a wholesaler um, who's just doing it for, you know, the transactional income and that, that kind of quick payday, if you will. Yeah. I, I agree. Like I said, I was talking to that uh, agent in, in Pennsylvania. And the funny thing though is, so he, 
he has a portfolio, but he says he doesn't really invest too much anymore. And so maybe this is kind of the, the um, mindset maybe. So, but for him, I guess, you know, he has a decent sized portfolio where he's, where he's comfortable with, but as far as the agent side, like he says, his responsibility is to his client. So if he was buying investment properties, he's not doing his best for his clients because he's not bringing them the best deals. So that's kind of where his mindset is, is like for him to be the best agent that he can be, he wants to present these deals to his clients. And if they're good deals, they're going to buy it, right? So pretty much he's left with deals that maybe aren't as attractive. So maybe that's why, you know, from a, from a realtor buying properties, maybe that's the mindset where they feel like they're bringing all these great deals to their clients first and they're only left with the leftovers kind of. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people um, see that as kind of like a like an objection or, a, you know, almost like a conflict of interest, right? If you're, you know, a real estate agent representing me as an investor, but you're also an investor, you know, are you just going to keep the deals for yourself, right? Well, <laughs> how does that work, right? So that's definitely, you know, one of the one of the aspects of, of that as well is, you know, some agents are going to, you know, want to put their clients first. And that's, that's actually really good. That's, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, for themselves, it's just, you know, we have a great opportunity here and it's almost like you're squandering it because you're in the real estate game. You see properties every day. You're, you know, your market better than anybody should know your market and uh, you're not necessarily taking advantage of it. And only, you know, the only thing that will kind of catch up to them is, you know, like we were just talking about like the time, right. You know, you'll look down five, 10, 20 years later and you'd be like, oh man, I should have, you know, instead of selling these properties, I should have just kept them. Right. I should have bought them and I should have kept them in my portfolio. So. Yeah, it, it's about, you know, doing less and less work over time, right? But if you're just, like you're saying, transactional, after each sale, you're starting from zero again, right? Yep. You got to do the same thing to, to generate this transaction to happen. Whereas if you're acquiring assets, it's now, like you're saying, the cash flow is going to slowly give you more time. And then you don't have to maybe do fix and flips or you don't have to do, yeah. you know, sales anymore. Yep, absolutely. I really like that. I really like, you know, just the actual building of it, right? Because like you said, if you're a flipper or if you're an agent, when you close a deal, you start from zero. Again, you, you go back to the starting point. But as an investor, right, you build, you know, you buy your first property, right? It's there. And then you buy your second one. That's layered on top of your first one, right? You don't go back to zero again. So you're always starting from, you know, your last point, which is, you know, however many properties you had. So it's a really cool, you know, really cool way to kind of look at, you know, the two different models of, you know, sales or transactional income versus, you know, building a portfolio and building a legitimate or building a business where, you know, one, you're always starting from zero again, every single time you have a closing versus the other one, you're just building off of what you have and you're building that foundation in the beginning. It might not grow as quickly, but over time it does really layer up and you can clearly see the difference between the two. Um, you know, if you've seen an investor who's been in the business 20 years versus an agent who's been in the business 20 years uh, who haven't invested. Yeah, that, that's what it's all about. Like I said, it's it's acquiring assets and not losing them and holding on to them. And that that's kind yep. of the, the game right there. Yep, absolutely. So, Mark, I just want to I want to thank you again for uh, for being on the show here today. I think you shared a lot of uh, a lot of good, uh, good tips and good information with us. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be, you know, thinking about what they heard today and, you know, maybe reevaluating their, uh, their business plan moving forward. But 
Um, before I kind of let you go here, is there um, for anybody looking to kind of learn more about what you do, maybe they want to check out your podcast or kind of follow you and, you know, maybe they're also an investor that want to learn from you. What are some of the best ways for people to either follow you or kind of check out your content online and through your social media links? Yeah, so you can find me on their financial firefighter. So it's a little play on the whole, you know, financial independent retire early movement. Uh, I'm, I'm, I might, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about the fire, the retire early. And, you know, there's some people that retired, they came back to work, you know, they're, they're bored. But so, you know, I hearing a lot is financial independent recreational employment now so mm-hmm. now you get to a point where you can kind of work or do whatever you want you know you have enough income where you can choose the job or choose what you want to do and have fun with it but yeah you can find me financial firefighter uh, i guess instagram youtube would probably be the best places i i am on twitter i am on linkedin uh facebook i'm on tiktok i haven't really figured it out the tiktok's a little different animal there it's kind of maybe for the younger crowd but yeah instagram youtube uh i try to talk about you know my mistakes my journey uh, out of state investing if you want to get more information about like the pittsburgh market and considering investing there you can always reach out um, or just want to connect and you know talk about the mistakes i've made so you don't make the same mistakes then yeah dm me or, or you know reach out to me yep absolutely we'll make sure to uh, leave all the links to that in the chat or uh, in the description down below so that you guys can uh, find Mark there. But uh, Mark, I mean, I want to thank you again for being on the show. I mean, before I let you go, is there uh, is there any last tips or uh, kind of last thoughts you want to leave with us? Hmm. Just get started. You know, it, it yeah. seems scary, but you just got to take that first step and realize that mistakes will happen. But, you know, if, like I said, if you're in it for the long game, you're, you're going to probably end up ahead. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here. And I want to thank you again for tuning into the show. And we'll see you guys on the next show. Take care. Thanks for having me.